Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. My guest today, Mary Fitzgerald, is a longtime Libya analyst and non-resident scholar at the Middle East Institute. We spoke on Wednesday, December 15th, which was nine days ahead of scheduled elections in Libya. This would be the first presidential election in Libya since the fall of Gaddafi, and these elections were to be the culmination of a ceasefire agreement brokered in October 2020. However, there is mounting doubt that these elections will be held on time amid a brewing political crisis that could lead to a return to armed conflict. Libya has been beset by armed conflict and instability since the fall of the Gaddafi regime in 2011. Things came to a major head in 2019, when a renegade general named Khalifa Haftar, who controlled most of eastern Libya, mounted a major offensive on the national capital, Tripoli. Since October 2020, a UN-brokered ceasefire has led to a substantial reduction of violence. This ceasefire is now in doubt as uncertainty looms over Libya's presidential elections. Mary Fitzgerald kicks off by explaining the current state of play of these elections before we have a broader conversation about Libya's political future. I think you will appreciate this conversation. Mary Fitzgerald has been a guest on the show many times in the past, and I always appreciate how she is so able to explain the complexities of Libyan politics to a generalist like me and those of you who are listening to this show. We recorded this episode, as we have recorded many episodes in the last month, via Twitter Spaces. My podcast is a partner with Twitter in their new Spark Creator program, in which I am recording episodes via this new audio platform. To participate live, you can follow me on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg, or you can just wait until the podcast episode is published. Either way, I'm happy to have you. And now here is my conversation with Mary Fitzgerald. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. What I would say is that the situation in Libya right now is extremely fluid, with uh, just over a week to go before those planned uh, elections, the first uh, round of uh, presidential elections, the first ever presidential elections that Libya has actually experienced. Um, there 
it, it seems all but inevitable um, that the uh, elections will be postponed. Today in Libya, and uh, we're, we're speaking on Wednesday, um, the National Election Commission submitted to the parliament um, its uh, paper, its, its study basically on the appeals process. Now that report, um, it's, it's not, it doesn't look as if it's going to be published, so we don't know what exactly is in it. Um, but that has again um, slowed the momentum here. The discussion in um, Libya now is basically who will actually announce the, um, as I said, all but a certain uh, postponement of the elections. And um, the ultimate political, ultimate legislative authority um, is that parliament, the House of Representatives, elected in 2014. Um, many say it's basically that they have the power to make that decision to postpone the elections. But given that we've seen um, a, a lot of kind of galvanizing of popular support for these elections, um, the House of Representatives and its leadership know um, that uh, announcing a postponement is, is going to be unpopular. To give you a sense, um, and your listeners, a sense of, of how galvanizing these elections have been, it's first of all important to note that the December 24th date was decided at the Libyan Political Dialogue Forum in November 2020. So for the last year, these elections, the December 24th date has become, if you like, a political holy grail in Libya. It, it has become the focal point. Everything has been driven towards this idea of elections on December 24th. December 24th is, is a, a, a particular date in Libyan history. Um, this year, it will be the 70th anniversary of Libya's um, independence, um, declared on December 24th, 1951. And in November last year, the, the, choos the choosing of that date was seen as highly symbolic, very auspicious, and this idea that th this would further galvanize the population towards elections. If we look at the number of people who have registered for these elections, it's 2.8 million. That's in a population of about six and a half million. Hmm. What's very interesting is that um, of those 2.8 million who registered for the elections, 2.4 million have collected their voting cards in recent weeks. So that shows that there is a real desire by a, a significant number of Libyans to take part in elections. Well, so what's the holdup then? Why not hold these elections as scheduled on this auspicious date of December 24th? Well, over the last year, there has been a lot of debate over whether Libya is ready for elections. Um, we remember that Libya has come out of seven years of civil conflict. It's still a very polarized uh, society. It's a country where there's still institutional divisions, political divisions, military divisions. It's a country where a lot of conversations about unifying institutions, et cetera, have not really gained the momentum that people hoped that they would. Um, so you could argue, and many have, that the current environment is not the ideal environment uh, to hold any kinds of elections. On the other hand, there are those who argue that uh, a key element of Libya's crisis is the lack of legitimacy that its institutions have. The last time Libya had elections was in 2014. 
So there's an argument that in order to reset and to give to have institutions that have at least electoral legitimacy, elections are, are needed. In recent weeks and months, uh, the conversation has turned um, uh, into a conversation about which is, is the most kind of, um, which carries the most risks, having elections um, or postponing or delaying elections. And the conversation in the last couple of months regarding the elections has been dominated by the fact that electoral laws underpinning the scheduled polls, laws that were uh, passed uh, in disputed circumstances in September and October, those laws have been challenged, they've become highly politicized, highly disputed, and that has fed this idea that we are not really in Um, an environment, a political environment that is conducive to um, elections. On top of that, of course, you have a situation where there are security concerns, uh, there's possibility of boycotts, um, there are concerns related to electoral fraud. But essentially, the main challenge right now is the fact that you have an extremely weak legal framework under which elections would take place, a framework that basically lends itself to whatever uh, elections take place, whatever results are delivered in those elections will be bitterly disputed either through the courts or through violence. Well, and that leads to a sort of sense that I have been reading uh, from analysts, which is that, you know, these elections could be held on schedule and that could lead to violence, or these elections could be delayed and that could lead to violence. It seems like a really sort of precarious uh, political crisis right now. Can you describe or explain who are the three main candidates vying for the presidency in these elections, which may or may not happen next week? Well, the three main candidates um, are all controversial in in their own ways. Um, First of all, you have the current uh, interim prime minister, Abdelhamid Dabeba, who um, was appointed uh, prime minister earlier this year as part of that UN-mediated Libyan dialogue process. He is accused of breaking a pledge not to run in forthcoming elections if he was to become the interim prime minister. He's also faced accusations that he is essentially um, bankrolling his electoral campaign using uh, state resources. When I was in Libya in October, I was really struck by what is essentially Debeba's very crude populism, um, how much that seemed to be resonating with with ordinary Libyans. Um, Most of the people I met in in Tripoli and Western Libya in October told me that they would vote for Debeba if he was a candidate in presidential elections. So what's like an example of Debeba's crude populism? Well, for example, um, he launched uh, the so-called marriage grant, um, which has been very controversial. Marriage grant whereby young Libyans who get married are given um, 40,000 Libyan dinars. Um, Yes, people argue that this is is meeting a need in Libya right now in terms of young people who cannot afford to get married. But there are others who are basically saying it's not feasible, feasible in the long term, that it has encouraged teenage marriages, etc. 
Um, but also Debeba was accused of, um, or at least his supporters were accused of, of vote buying during the process in which he was selected as prime minister. So you have Debeba, who is somebody who's this crude populist, as I mentioned, who is being accused of breaking pledges. There are also accusations in recent days that some of the documents he sub- submitted as part of his candidacy um, are, are, are fake documents. Those are accusations that have been appearing in the Libyan media in recent days. The other two candidates, uh, Saif al-Islam Gaddafi, uh, once the heir apparent of course to his father, Muammar Gaddafi, once seen as, as a would-be reformer in Libya until he sided with his father in terms of the brutal crackdown on anti-regime protests um, that led to the armed uprising in 2011. Uh, Saif al-Islam Gaddafi is wanted by the International Criminal Court. Um, there was a lot of speculation in recent years that um, regarding whether he was even alive. Um, but he emerged earlier this year in an interview with the New York Times, um, an interview that was quite colorful. It has to be said, it caused quite a bit of controversy in, in Libya. He was quoted as um, basically saying that he needs to approach um, Libyans um, as if in a striptease, as he put it. He said he needs to, one needs to play with Libyan minds a little bit. So these were quotes that really, um, that really proved controversial um, in, in Libya. And also there was a sense that um, from that interview and uh, from his appearance in uh, when he was submitting his candidacy papers a number of weeks ago, that this was somebody who was um, perhaps less conciliatory um, than he could be. Um, of course, raising questions as to how vengeful um, he might be if he was to um, have a political position. The other um, candidate is Khalifa Haftar, um, a controversial figure, a commander based in Eastern Libya, Um, who launched military operations in 2014, uh, which partly resulted in in Libya tipping into civil conflict that year. In April 2019, he launched an offensive to capture the capital Tripoli from the then internationally recognized government, and that um, sparked a renewed uh, civil war um, that lasted until summer uh, 2020. Um, Hafter is somebody who uh, I met him in 2014. He and his aides that year really made little secret of what his ultimate objectives were to rule um, Libya, essentially. There's been a lot of denial about those uh, those ambitions of Hafter's over the years amongst Libyans, amongst internationals. Um, and at this point, I would say that um, Hafter, because of uh, his failure to, to capture uh, Tripoli, um, he would struggle, I think, to, to win a national uh, presidential election. But those are the three lead mm-hmm. candidates. Um, polling has shown that um, Debeba is, um, is the front runner. Um, but a lot can happen, I think, um, in the days to come in terms of, you know, legal challenges are, are still ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, particularly, I think Debeba is somebody who is, while in a strong position in terms of popular support, um, his candidacy could face renewed uh, legal challenges. 
I found your description of the three main candidates valuable precisely because I think it underscores how precarious the political situation is right now. I mean, it sounds like if the elections are held as scheduled on December 24th, the individual, the candidates who lose the election probably will reject the results and they have a, you know, armed forces on which they can rely, particularly Haftar. He has an army behind him. Uh, similarly, if the elections are delayed, one of them could cry foul and, and rely on their army to, you know, do politics by other means. And I, I just think that explains very well just how, you know, volatile this moment is in Libyan politics. Indeed, uh, Libya is essentially caught between a, a rock and a hard place um, in that whether um, elections are held um, in next week or in the next weeks, in the next months, um, the the environment in which they're, they're going to be held uh, carries the risk of, of violence. If um, the elections are postponed uh, beyond next week, it raises concerns amongst Libyans who have been clamoring for elections that in postponing elections, you, yes, uh, you know, there's an, an advantage there in terms of trying to um, bring about a better, uh, a more robust legal framework for elections. But there's a concern that if the elections are, are postponed, then um, Libya faces into a period of possible indefinite uh, postponements. Um, there are elements in, in Libya who, uh, for various reasons, are not keen on presidential elections um, right now. Uh, they believe that presidential elections in a situation where there is no real um, constitutional framework underpinning um, a presidential, that would underpin a presidential system, the first presidential system Libya would, would ever have, that that um, carries risks. In fact, it's, it's dangerous. Um, in a country that is still recovering from from Muammar Gaddafi's legacy. So these elections were to be the culmination of a peace process, a ceasefire agreement in October 2020. Uh, can you explain how that ceasefire was reached? That ceasefire came a few months after um, the the fighting had essentially um, uh, slowed. Uh, the fighting, the, the the war that was sparked by Haftar's Tripoli offensive, um, brought in, uh, drew in Turkish intervention on the side of the anti-Haftar forces, the internationally recognized government in Tripoli. That was essentially what helped them repel uh, Haftar's uh, offensive. On the other side, it drew in Russian involvement um, in the form of uh, Russian military assistance to Haftar, but also uh, the presence of um, Russian mercenaries on the ground uh, who fought alongside Haftar's forces. So Libya is a place that for the last seven years has, has drawn in so many different external actors, but the um, Tripoli war um, brought that to um, a, a new level, if you like. So that uh, that ceasefire that was agreed in, in Geneva in October uh, 2020 um, basically was not just a ceasefire in terms of an end to the fighting um, at that point, but also called for the departure of um, foreign mercenaries that had been brought into Libya by Russia on one side, 
Turkey um, funneled Syrian mercenaries in to fight um, on the side of the internationally recognized government as well. That ceasefire um, was also supposed to establish um, a, a means through which we would see a unification of Libya's military forces. Those efforts have been rather piecemeal. It, it has to be said there have been some, um, some progress in some areas, but nothing really that um, has been very, very substantial. And, and I should say by, by unification of Libya's military forces, do you mean uh, that forces under Haftar's control and forces under the Libyan government or the, the Tripoli-based government's control would somehow be integrated? Indeed. So essentially what we saw was the establishment of the so-called 5 plus 5 commission, um, which includes commanders from uh, Haftar's side and commanders from the recognized government side. Um, As I said, progress has been relatively piecemeal um, on that. What we have seen this week, and I think that this is something to watch in the event um, of a postponement and then whatever political vacuum may follow from that, because there are questions over whether the current interim government, the government of national unity, the government of which Abdul Hamid Debebe is prime minister, um, what would happen to that if um, elections do not take place on December 24th? So I think what's worth watching now is what happens in terms of the conversations between those military figures. They have been meeting again recently because there will be um, a, a focus on protecting that ceasefire and ensuring that factions um, who are allied with different uh, candidates for those elections, that um, they don't respond to a possible postponement um, and and spark another round of of civil conflict. Um, Mary, having been like so deeply involved in and studying Libyan politics for so long, I mean, is it your sense uh, that postponing the election is the least bad option right now? Or rather, do you think the least bad option is holding the elections as scheduled on December 24th? I think at this point, and given that so much of what was supposed to happen, um, even, you know, having a, a period of campaigning, the the requisite two weeks of campaigning before December 24th, um, you know, that has not happened. Um, And that's quite a a basic um, element compared to all the other challenges the December 24th date uh, presents. I think at this point, um, it's interesting to see how there are many prominent Libyan voices who were amongst those clamoring Um, the loudest for elections on December 24th. And what is striking is in the last couple of weeks, we see many of those voices saying there is a need for a postponement, there is a need for a pause, um, that basically the idea that rushing into elections now would, in the eyes of a growing number of Libyans, Uh, create more problems than it would solve. That said, um, polling uh, just recently in recent weeks has shown that amongst ordinary Libyans, there appears to be a very, very strong opposition to any postponement of elections, which again would suggest 
what I mentioned at the beginning, that there is a real hunger for these um, elections. There's a real hunger on the part of the Libyan population to have their voices heard for the first time electorally since 2014. Uh, Lastly, is there like a question I didn't ask or a point that you think is worth emphasizing that those listening live and and those listening to the podcast, you know, ought to, to be aware Is there like a point you didn't make that you would have liked to have made if I asked the right question? Well, I think it's important to remember that it's now over a decade since the uprising that ousted Muammar Gaddafi after his 42 years in power. And Libya has experienced a lot of turmoil over that that decade. This is something that uh, causes people to wonder how well Saif al-Islam Gaddafi would do, for example, um, in a presidential election, Um, whether the so-called green vote, uh, that is the uh, former regime sympathizers, is a substantial vote in, in Libya. That's a great unknown. So I think there are all kinds of questions in terms of what kind of political landscape uh, we might see in Libya next year. Because even if elections are postponed on December 24th, um, one would hope that elections will take place at some point next year, whether it's in spring or later in the year. But I think in in many ways, these elections, and because uh, they are presidential elections, the first in Libya's history, they really will be a referendum on so much um, that has happened in Libya over the last decade. Given the candidates we we see already, given the leading candidates, each one of those three candidates, controversial as they all are, represents something related to what happened over the last decade. And, And one aspect of of the uh, of the electoral register I found fascinating is the fact that over 50% of the newly registered voters in Libya are those under uh, 30 years of age. Uh, I find that really interesting because that is the the generation that has come of age, a political age um, in in Libya, in post-Gaddafi Libya. They have been shaped um, by the events of um, the civil conflict of the last decade and the question of what they want, how they see their country, what kind of leadership they would like to see in their country, I think is, is key and really will tell us a lot about what Libya looks like next year and beyond that. You know, I, I said last question, but this is my last, last question, I think, um, you know, during the Trump administration, uh, I think it's fair to say that it was unclear which side of the Libyan civil war the United States was supporting um, during Haftar's assault on Tripoli. Where does the United States stand now? Where does the Biden administration stand now on Libya, both in terms of whether or not, you know, have there been any sort of public statements, whether or not the U.S. wants this uh, election to proceed as planned on the 24th, whether they prefer a delay? In general, how is the Biden administration approaching Libya in a way that is different from the prior administration? Well, the Biden administration contains several figures who have worked on on Libya, who um, were involved uh, to one degree or another um, in in 2011 and since. Um, So we've seen a more robust engagement um, since the the Biden administration came in. 
Uh, what I would say is that the, the U.S. under the Biden administration has been a very robust supporter of the idea of elections in Libya, very um, robust supporter of the idea that elections should take place on December 24th. Um, there is also um, a hint of concern in Washington, we can say, that um, Saif al-Islam Gaddafi's candidacy um, is backed by, by Russia, um, but there's very much been uh, this robust official support for the idea of elections and elections on December um, 24th. What we have seen in other international quarters is a hint of slippage in recent uh, days and weeks regarding the December 24th date. Um, and in fact, Russia, uh, Russian officials yesterday were talking about um, essentially suggesting that, you know, there was no need to be hung up on the, the date of 20, uh, December 24th. So we are seeing a, a, a mood change internationally. We are seeing the language changing. It's changing subtly, but it is changing. But to go back to what I said at the beginning, the question in Libya is, um, you know, who will actually announce um, that the elections um, are likely to, to be postponed? Will the House of Representatives uh, do that? Um, how will it navigate the response to, to a, a postponement? Those are the questions I think we're, we're going to see answered in the next days. Uh, well, Mary, thank you so much for your time, as always. This was very helpful. Pleasure to talk to you, Mark. Thank you. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Mary Fitzgerald. That was great. And if you are listening to this in real time, I hope you have a, a nice holiday season. If you are celebrating, I'll have a content for you to enjoy while you are on holiday or at work or somewhere in between. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye.